Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Welcome to Space 3D. During our next few episodes to round out Season 5, we had the opportunity to interview individuals who conducted research, operated, or who served as research volunteers on the old Johnsville Centrifuge, aka the Dynamic Flight Simulator, which was located on the now-closed Naval Air Development Center in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Why, you may ask, is Space 3D talking centrifuges? Well, there is a space connection. NASA used the Johnsville Centrifuge for training X-15, Project Mercury, Project Gemini, and Apollo astronauts, and a handful of space shuttle pilots. In part one of our interview, we'll hear from human factors researcher Barry Schender, who will provide a broad overview of the history of the Johnsville Centrifuge as well as the primary purpose of conducting acceleration work. Then, John Yannicone will provide some additional background on the operation of the centrifuge and why it was built in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Then, we'll hear from Steve Cloak, Linda Fratone, and Linda Lips on their experiences with riding the centrifuge as human research subjects. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Space 3D. I'm Eleanor Rangers, along with my co-host, Emily Carney. And we have a whole collection of individuals on the line today who had all worked at one time at what was known as the Johnsville Centrifuge, or the Dynamic Flight Simulator, that was located in Warminster, Pennsylvania, at the site of a former Navy base known as the Naval Air Development Center, that was operational from just after World War II until the end of September 1996. And the individuals we have online today were involved either as test subjects who actually rode the centrifuge. So we're going to learn a little bit about what that was like. We also have some individuals who were involved with operations as well as research on the centrifuge. So, you know, it's a great group with lots of experience and lots of stories to tell about this very unique piece of equipment and the work that was done there. And you may be asking, what in the world is the connection with space here? Well, we know astronauts used to spin around on centrifuges as part of their training. I don't think that really happens so much anymore. Actually, this particular centrifuge, which was operational by 1952, actually took part in helping uh, and being used for training of some of the early X-15 pilots, as well as the Mercury and Gemini astronauts and a handful of Apollo astronauts, and I believe a couple of the shuttle commanders back in the mid-1970s. So that's really the space-related pedigree of this centrifuge facility. But 
we thought it would be interesting to get this group online this evening to give our audience a little more detail about the work that was done there and again what it was like to ride the centrifuge and uh, any interesting anecdotes that folks may want to tell. I'm going to go ahead and, and kick off the questions here. Maybe I'm going to go ahead and start with, with Barry, who is a acceleration researcher. Barry, I don't know if you want to kind of introduce yourself formally to let us know exactly what your, your background is and the work that you were involved in while you were at Johnsville. And maybe also for the benefit of the audience, a little bit about the background of this facility and what it actually was used for. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for setting this up and for inviting us. So I was at the dynamic flight simulator from 1987 uh, to 1996 when the facility was closed down because of a, a brack. Um, my role there was as a researcher. So my job was to uh, do a variety of different things, uh, but primarily involved with developing protocols for testing different ways of sensing vital signs during exposures to high acceleration, methods of protection uh, against the effects of acceleration. Acceleration effects, when you're exposed to higher than normal uh, acceleration, we call that high G, which is related to uh, gravity is the easiest way of thinking it. So uh, when you are uh, exposed to high G in a uh, high performance jet or during uh, a launch sequence, uh, you've all certainly seen movies of what happens inside a capsule. So the rather large uh, positive acceleration during that period of time. So if you have enough of this exposure, then you can experience a variety of different symptoms like uh, having trouble seeing, losing all of your ability to see, and it is possible to lose consciousness. And when I a uh, spacecraft returns to Earth and does that transition from zero gravity or weightlessness uh, and then back to the, the pull uh, of Earth, you're again exposed to high acceleration. So what we were able to do with the facility in Warminster was study those effects. And in the late 50s and 60s, uh, the training uh, of the Mercury astronauts and some of which became Gemini astronauts were done there because we didn't really know what exactly was going to happen to our first cadre of astronauts uh, being exposed to these types of forces. What would happen to their bodies? Could they do anything? You know, could they, during these sequences, could they manipulate controls and whatnot? So while I missed the space uh, exposures, uh, we were certainly there uh, looking at the effects uh, that was studied early on. Uh, and it was all trailblazing at that time because the facility at Warminster, uh, which was called Johnsville at that time, was the only one who could simulate these kinds of uh, exposures 
with any kind of real fidelity. John Yanacone, I'm wondering if you might be able to add on to what Barry had started to talk about. And I don't know if you might be able to comment specifically on what is meant by a dynamic flight simulator versus a centrifuge. And also maybe describe what was, you know, as Barry had said, a lot of the work that was done in Johnsville was really groundbreaking, but why Johnsville? What was special about that particular centrifuge at the time it was operational? Okay. Well, I mean, one of the things is what was special about that. Basically, it ended up there. The the base became Navy property when they took it over from Brewster Aircraft during, it was either during or at the end of World War II. What I've always heard is they defaulted on a contract and the Navy took over the facility. But why the centrifuge ended up there is when they were going to build it, it generates a tremendous amount of force to accelerate something that big and that heavy very quickly. So they needed to anchor it to something really big and solid, specifically the the bedrock of the earth. So it just happens that the bedrock of the earth in Warminster is very close to the surface, so you don't have to dig as deep to get to it. And that's why the, the centrifuge ended up in Warminster is at least one part of the reason it's there. What's unique about it, I'm not the big historian on centrifuges, but the size of this centrifuge, the, the length of the arm is, is much larger, much longer than other centrifuges that are around. And that really helps deal with some of the strange effects you get when you accelerate people in it. And it basically works a little bit better. So what's different about this one is uh, a lot of the centrifuges were what they called swing arms. So basically, think of a, a bucket of water in your hand, and as you start spinning around, the bucket will tend to swing up under its own mass. The Its own weight will want to make it go horizontal. So when you put somebody in one of these, when you start spinning it, it the acceleration that we're dealing with is mostly straight out the arm. So if you were sitting there with the, the center towards one side of you, you'd want to be accelerated laterally across your body, so pushing you sideways. What this one has is it has two sets of gimbals that let you roll the gondola with the person in it, and it also lets you pitch it. So nose up and nose down. And what that lets you do is realign the force vector so it goes the direction you want it to go. Most of the time, basically straight down your spine. Um, so by controlling the way you you swing, controlling your orientation, it controls the way the Gs are applied to your body. So that's kind of the, to say, the short version of, of what that is. Now you were asking about uh, dynamic flight simulator versus centrifuge or whatever terminology. Centrifuge is basically, we call it meat in the seat. You didn't have any control other than a button to stop you, but basically you sat there and whatever they hit you with is what you got. Dynamic flight simulator is open loop versus cr- closed loop. Dynamic flight simulator is closed loop, meaning you're controlling the centrifuge. So you have a stick, a throttle, and when you push forward on the throttle and start to pull back on the stick, you will go up. The centrifuge will react to those inputs, and that's what will generate the accelerations, and you will basically have the feel like you're in an aircraft and just did whatever uh, control inputs you just put into the 
centrifuge. For those on the line who actually had ridden in this dynamic flight simulator, what was that experience like? And my understanding is that the interior of the gondola was generally mocked up so it would look like a high-performance jet, for example. And curious if, you know, Steve or the two Lindas that are on the line, if maybe want to tell us a little bit about what that experience was like, what that kind of looked like, and, you know, what felt like as well to, to ride in this thing. Well, I, I got some Hornet rides, you know, in the back seat. The one configuration we flew most was, uh, was an F-18. And, you know, it, it looked and felt like you were in a real cockpit. You know, the stick worked. Throttles did work. Your, your G-suit was hooked up. We had comms. In the mid early 90s, we switched over to the Cray. We had Cray computers driving the graphics. It felt, especially when, you know, we had a project and we did a lot of, like, someone we were doing tail chasing, uh, <laughs> tail chasing a jet that was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You, you could get wrapped up into it and actually feel like you were flying. Hmm. I mean, it, it was, I used to say it was, Aside from flying, it was the most fun you could have with your clothes on. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get the it other, to the Lindas that that flew. Yeah, <laughs> curious about your your thoughts about flying or riding, taking your ride. So this is Linda Fertone, and uh, I was part of a study with Dr. Schender back in the mid '90s. There was about seven of us, I believe. It was for smaller female women where they were doing a study to see if we'd be able to handle uh, a large aircraft like that. It was really like we were flying an aircraft. I mean, when we first got in there, and and this is my personal experience, when I first got in there and I was looking at the screen, the heads-up display, and there was no feedback, I mean, I felt like I was just playing a video game. And I was never really good at video games. And Dr. Schender kept saying, just wait until you get the feedback. Wait until the thing starts moving. You, you know, just study the, the cockpit and the heads-up display and get a feel for it. And then once you start spinning, you will really feel like you're doing the flying. And it sure did. I mean, we had to learn. We put on the G-suits. Uh, we had to learn how to handle the aircraft. Uh, we had, because we were doing such high Gs, at times we were doing seven and a half Gs, we had to do the hook maneuver to make sure that we didn't pass out, that we didn't G-lock. So it was an awesome experience. I really wanted to go out and learn how to fly an aircraft after that. I felt like I can handle it. It would have been really cool if I were a little bit younger and in those days to get out there and think of a different career, but it wasn't at that point. So like Steve said, it was the best thing you could do and fly uh, without actually being up in the air and having a great time. It was awesome. When you were selected as a volunteer for these programs, you were employed at the Navy base as a civilian. But did you get hazard pay or was there any incremental yes. pay that you would get for actually doing these studies? Yes. Yeah, we, we were uh, an employee at the Naval Air Development Center. I was, I was actually buying research at the time. I was in contracts and uh, that was my normal job. And then when we decided to do this, we had to go through a complete physical. I mean, it was a very extensive physical to make sure that we could uh, actually go through the process before we ever even got into the cockpit. 
And uh, and then once we started doing it, we did receive hazardous duty pay whenever we were there. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is Linda Lips, and apparently I did this in the dinosaur age. I was also a civilian. I worked for the comptroller department. My boss was nice enough to let me go to the centrifuge and ride the projects. I got zero hazardous duty pay. They said, ha ha, you're not military. You don't get hazardous duty pay. Also, when I rode it, three pro projects that I rode, the Piddle Pants, the Lost of Consciousness, and the Evoked Response, none of them uh, had anything to do with G-suits. They were all relaxed G. We did not have a cockpit. I don't remember what was in there when I did the piddle pants because my only job in there was to piddle my pants. <laughs> Sorry. And that then go for a ride. Huh? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but the loss of consciousness, the only thing I had in front of me was a, a circular screen with vertical and horizontal crossbars on it that I could control with the joystick. And I had to keep them in the middle of an eight ball in the middle of it. And there was also a light bar at the top. I mean, I've never been in an airplane cockpit, but nothing was mocked up like that back in the early 80s. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Space 3D. Make sure to join us for our next episode where we continue our discussion on the Johnsville Centrifuge. For Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.